0: Hello out there, bibliophiles, and welcome back to another exciting episode of Drew Archives in 10. I'm Andrew Salvati, adjunct professor of media and communications here at Drew, and I am in the archives in the conference room with Candice Riley. Candice, how are you doing? Doing great. How about you? Good. I'm, I'm all right. Uh, so it looks like uh, you have for us today another entry in our collection, at least on this podcast, of <laughs> episodes and items on the history of medicine and herbs and healing and potions. Yeah. So what do you have for us?
1: It's obviously, you found my theme of what I am, <laughs> I'm most likely interested in our yeah. collections. Um, yeah. So I've been looking this summer, this past summer and this fall a lot at herbals. Um, especially because we're getting ready for our spring exhibit, which is going to be going up in January, titled To Be Determined Still. Okay. Um, but it's going to be on the language of flowers and kind of the importance of plants and herbals throughout history. But we're focusing primarily on the Victorian period. We talked earlier about the language of flowers in the previous of course. episode. So that's going to come back a lot. People are going to be able to make their own kind of virtual bouquets and give them to people for Valentine's oh, that's Day. So cool. And craft it about... Um, my students and I were joking the other day what they should mean, like, as a, like, you know, I love you as a romantic relationship or a friend bouquet or I'm disgusted yeah, as another yeah. one. But that's how these um, bouquets worked back then. This book is different, though. It's not a lovey-dovey book on let's talk about flowers and what they mean. This is A New Family Herbal by Robert Thornton. This book is... Um, edition is 1810 it's a first edition of this okay unfortunately it's not in the best condition as we saw earlier um our backboard is a little detached yeah but it's okay the inside of the book is in perfect um, condition which is great um so this book is a medicinal book detailing plants their uses and healing practices of early 19th century medicine at the time of publishing herbal texts were a source of knowledge for the medical use of plants um, this kind of circumvented the need for a doctor because mm-hmm. as a family herbal, this people could have this book at home. A lot of it is things you could find around normal household ingredients, basically spices and herbs. The rest of them though, are some things we're going to talk about. Maybe not yeah. so yeah. typical.
0: And in 1810, you know, uh, any alternative to a doctor may have been
1: a good one. <laughs> it, it may have been. Yeah. Um, but Thornton's motivations for creating this book were to improve the medical field, Um, He states that the accounts have been so vague and in every sense so credulous and vulgar. These works are a degradation to the human intellect and highly dangerous to the community. And this beautiful field was long left a waste and barren for improvement.
0: So that's
1: why he then got into this, um, to make his own better family herbal guide. The book itself is organized by plant type, which makes it really nice and easy for you then to go through, figure out what plant it is, and then kind of the uses of that plant. Okay. Um, It starts off with spices. So as I kind of talked earlier about, you're then going to start with things that you know, that you have at home that you can then use. And actually, um, you see this with a lovely index at the beginning. Mm -hmm. So let's say you just want to jump to the plant that you are looking for. You can do that. And it has both um, the English name and Latin name of the plant. And then you start with cardamom. Okay. And every different plant type, has a beautiful engraving at it, yeah. And the engravings were done by Thomas Bewick. I mean, looked at Thomas Bewick's books a little bit before. Um, he has some. Um, he was one of the best engravers of okay. the time. Yeah. Um, I think we looked at some of his animal books or his thumbprint that was done. Okay. Right. I don't know if this could have been another thing I okay. talked about Bewick, but we'll get to Bewick if we have not. But basically, <laughs> Thomas Bewick was an amazing engraver. And um, one of the best artists of that period of time. So to have Thomas Bewick then be part of this project was a very big one. Because you're getting very accurate depictions of plants. And especially if you're going to be using these plants to heal yourself and your family, you want to get the the correct plant. So having the best image is really important.
0: I wonder if the publisher was involved in making that collaboration happen and how that worked into the saleability of this book at the time and the promotion of it yeah
1: yeah um and they were all um hand-painted color prints so after kind of the engraving was done that Mm -hmm. it was printed but yeah it was a big one probably for the publisher as well there are 700 pages of meticulous detail in this book so there's a lot of content so, the way it is organized, besides it then having the plant name, you have a description of the plant, medical virtues, preparations for how to then take that plant. Then you yeah. make a concoction of that plant, and there you go. So, it's a really helpful guide. Sure. So, at the beginning, you have a lot of spices, you have European olive as well so things that we probably both have within our kitchen Mm -hmm. stuff and spices i have a bunch of olive oil at home um yep
0: same here
1: then you get into some other plants i'm going to flip to one that i think nobody probably has at home (laughs) Deadly nightshade. <laughs> <laughs> so in addition to this being a guide for the, the helpful plants, it's helpful to know the plants that maybe are not so helpful. Right. That could cause some issue. Do not eat. Yeah. But um, so you have this wonderful image at the top of deadly nightshade um, in Latin. It's a tropa belladonna. People have heard the name belladonna sure. quite frequently. It's known as poison. And they tell you the location of it. Um, which is common in stony waste grounds and flowers in June or July, and its berries ripen in September. And then it goes through some medical virtues um, that applying the leaves of the belladonna near the eye will then relax the eye and make the pupil larger. Okay. Um, so this actually goes back to some older stories of how women would drop belladonna into their eye to make themselves look more beautiful because the okay. larger pupil they thought was okay. more aesthetically pleasing. Um, But also people would ingest belladonna because it would kind of um, make you hallucinate sometimes. All right, not not the best. In
0: in small doses. In
1: small doses. Um, Yeah, but another really cool part of this text, uh, Thornton's uh, Family Herbal, is they he goes through this history here. So he mentions if belladonna was mentioned by Plutarch. Okay, so literary references. Yeah, little references, Bible references. (laughs) Shakespeare as well. So he says, and Shakespeare in His Fifth makes um, Banquo say um, about the berries of belladonna. Mm. So I think this is a very fun book yeah, because it places plants that we know about, but then in a historical and a medical kind of way to analyze them without thinking about the language of flowers and how they're beautiful or how to use them in a romantic or friendly way, this has given you kind of a more historical look, which I think is, is really fun. And it's also from our um, Zach Botanical collection that I mentioned okay, a few yeah, episodes yeah. ago. So that's it's a perfect placement for it. Sure. Um, sure. But it's... Um, oh, you know, I just flipped through the coffee tray, <laughs> And there's a whole description on how to make coffee. Oh, wow. So um, it seems to be very similar to how we still make coffee. Uh, pour a pint of boiling water on an ounce of coffee. And there yeah. you go. Let it boil five or six minutes. They don't have the coffee pot. Right. But... Um, but and then you pour out a cupful two or three times and you return it again. And then you put an Ingalls glass chips into it and sugar and boil five minutes more. Okay. So
0: yeah. Yeah. That's how you do it. (laughs) That's
1: how you do it. Yeah. And some, some like a small bit of vanilla and cream should always be served with coffee and sugar candy. Oh, look at that. Well, they also like the sugar and the coffee (laughs) similar to other places that are just sugar and sweet. They say you can also put butter in it.
0: All right. I don't think heard I've ever had butter
1: coffee. So we could, oh, and there's a whole thing for tea, which makes perfect sense too. Yeah,
0: right next to it. Right?
1: Coffee and tea. You have your yeah. breakfast goodies right next to each other. Yeah. So,
0: um, I mean, I can imagine this as a useful family reference book up there on the mantel or in the bookshelf. Mm-hmm. Um, 1810. This is a rather. Well, I mean, it's a not a large book, but it's certainly a, a thick volume. I'm mm. wondering about
1: how how much something like this would have cost. This one was. Um, Affordable, but not for everybody. Okay, because the printing quality was so high on this one, um, and with the Biewick engravings.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you want a bewick if you, you want a bewick
1: you're gonna pay. But Thornton was very interested in promoting this to people to have them have better access to health needs. So it was not the most expensive thing, but it was it was made of inexpensive materials, so middle class citizens could get it. But he did make a lot of money from it. He also sold the floral plates that were used for this book. Oh. So he thought about many different avenues to get a good amount of money from this text. Okay. And it was also um, very popular, mm-hmm. which is I think is another important thing to consider when we're talking about editions of a book. There were many editions, and therefore people kept wanting Thornton's family herbal, okay. which is important. So that new editions, I don't think he made that many edits to the different editions. It could have just been different prints. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it was extremely popular in the early 19th century.
0: Yeah. So this was published where?
1: This, I think, was published. I think it's an English publication.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm just wondering if, you know, you know, London, right? So if it was distributed on this side of the Atlantic and how popular it may have been among American homesteaders driving west uh, at the time, uh, which may be a subject for future research.
1: Yeah, or then what type of herbal was being used in the States?
0: Right, right. If
1: it was inspired by Thornton's. Another herbal that we have in the collection here um, is John Wesley's Primitive Physic, which we have obviously a ton of because of the Methodist archives. Yeah. And it's similar, but not nearly as detailed as Thornton's herbal. So this goes into, as we discussed, you know, the history and the medicinal right. purposes. John Wesley's Primitive Physic um, will tell you, like, okay, the common cold, this is what to do. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit more specific about ailments. Okay. But those were extremely popular. Like many, many editions of that text were made. We have, I think, 30 different editions of Primitive Physics in our stacks alone. Oh, wow. So people wanted these books. They wanted to be able to turn to it at home and just be like, okay, I have the answer. Yeah. Think of it as like, I mean, now, obviously, we don't maybe have a book on the shelves. If there's someone sick, you can WebMD it or something. But this was the WebMD for for people in the 19th century. (laughs) So, and then also to make coffee and tea.
0: Thanks very much for sharing this with us. And we're looking forward to perhaps seeing this book at a upcoming It
1: definitely will be. And many quotes will be taken. But I think I'll be studying this book a lot between now and then.
0: (laughs) Oh, great. Thanks so much, Candice. Sure. That's our show. To take a look at some of the materials we've discussed on this and other episodes of Drew Archives in 10, head on over to the Special Collections and University Archives website at drew.edu forward slash library forward slash scua. You can also check out images of some of the materials at the Drew University Participatory Archives at dupaarchive.org. That's D-U-P-A-R-C-H-I-V E.org. There's a lot of great stuff there, and the collection is growing every week, so I hope you check it out. That's it for now, and remember, you can now find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. So if you like the show, give us a follow. If you love us, share us with a friend, or consider leaving us a rating and review. We'd love to know what you think. So for myself, Dr. Andrew Salvati, and for Candice Riley, Manager of Special Collections, we will see you next time on Drew Archives in 10.